Hello everyone, I'm Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome from your team here at the Bowen and Joint Journal to one of our podcasts in the month of July. As some of you may know, for the months of June and July, we have released an overview podcast to accompany our supplements from the American Hip and Knee Society closed meeting. For this month, we've already had a podcast with our editor-in-chief here at the journal, Professor Faris Haddad, and the guest editor for the July Knee Supplement, Dr. Brian Springer, where we hope to provide you with a brief overview of the Knee Society, who the members are, as well as discussing how this collaboration came about and how we hope this will benefit you as our listeners and readers. We also hope to have provided a behind the scenes insight in how, into how the studies within the supplement have been chosen, as well as giving a brief discussion on a few select papers. With that in mind, over the next 15 or 20 minutes or so, we'll be discussing in more detail one of the prize papers from the American Knee Society closed meeting in 2018. I have the privilege today of being joined by Dr. Noam Schurt from the Rotham Orthopedic Institute in Philadelphia, who is the lead author for the paper entitled Fructosamine is a better glycemic marker compared with HbA1c in predicting adverse outcomes following total knee arthropathy, which was the winner of the John Insel Award from the Knee Society and will be published in the July supplement. Welcome, Dr. Short, and a big thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me today. So to kick us off, Noam, as you state in your paper, diabetes is amongst one of the most prevalent and morbid conditions affecting millions of people worldwide. And recent studies have reported anything from 30 to 50% of patients undergoing total knee arthroplasty have glucose levels in the diabetic or pre-diabetic range. So if you could just give us a brief background to your study, in particular looking at the potential current guidelines and consensus meetings that have suggested with regards monitoring glycemic control in diabetic patients, and particularly if there is an agreed gold standard. Yes, so while total knee arthroplasty is a relatively safe and successful operation, complications do occur, and among those, PJI remains the most prevalent and dreadful with poor long-term outcomes. One of the ways to deal with this threat is to prevent it from the first place. And in recent years, a tremendous amount of research and effort has been put into mitigating the risk by patient optimizations. Diabetes has been a focus of much attention and uh, a major concern to the medical community as its prevalence is on the rise with an expected 50% increase in the next 10 years. Now, this is what we know about diabetes in the context of joint replacement. We know that diabetes is an independent risk factor for arthritis, and consequently, around 50% of our patients have diabetes or prediabetes, with many of them unaware of their diabetic state. We also know from multiple studies and registry data that diabetes is an independent risk factor for complications, with PGI being the most studied. However, while there is an agreement that diabetes is an established risk factor for complications, the optimal marker for assessing glycemic control and the threshold above which the risk for complication increases significantly remain unknown. So in the absence of a gold standard, glycated, glycated hemoglobin is commonly used for assessing glycemic control. However, its association with complication is not clear. In a recent systematic review looking at hemoglobin A1C and PJI, we found that more than 50% of the studies showed no association at all. Furthermore, many, many physicians use a cutoff of seven based on the American Diabetes Association recommendation for defining inadequate control. But in a meta-analysis of these studies, clearly we show that this cutoff is not associated with an increased risk for PJI. Another major limitation with hemoglobin A1C prior to surgery is the long time it takes to see a response treatment, as the lifespan of hemoglobin is three months. Thus, in patients with inadequate control, surgery will be delayed for at least three months and Nicholas Giori, in a, in a study a few years ago, taught us that 30% of these patients will never reach surgery. 
So obviously we must search for alternatives to hemoglobin A1C. And that was our thought when we first looked at uh, fructosamine. So that's, that's really interesting. That's a really nice summary uh, of, of the current literature. And like you say, a lot of the emphasis is, has been on HbA1c, but obviously, the, 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 you know, in using it, it hasn't really been, uh, been the predictor we sort of want it to be. So what is the current evidence or data about using fructosamine levels in these patients? So fructosamine was introduced in 1983 as an alternative to hemoglobin A1c. It's a measure of glycated serum protein, mostly being albumin with a lifespan of two to three weeks, thus reflecting glycemic control over a shorter period of time compared to hemoglobin A1c. It's been tightly correlated to continuous glucose monitoring and has been suggested to better reflect variability of glucose. Now, glucose variability represents the fluctuation of glucose around the mean. So for two given people with the same hemoglobin A1c, glucose variability may be significantly different. And these variabilities have been associated with negative outcomes in critical and non-critical ill patients. And we recently showed this association with PJI in hospital complications and mortality following joinotroposity. This makes fructosamine a very attractive marker in the preoperative period. And in a single center study that was published two years ago, we showed that patients with high fructosamine levels were at significantly higher risk for complications, mainly PJI. Okay, that, that's, that's really nice. And that gives you a good basis uh, for us to sort of, sort of move on to the how your study was performed. So obviously the, the aim of the study was to determine if there was an association between fructosamine and early adverse outcomes following total knee replacement. And it was in a large cohort of both diabetic and non-diabetic patients. It was prospective, multi-center across four academic institutions and included patients undergoing elective uh, knee replacements. And they were screened for glycemic control in the perioperative period and were followed up for about minimum, minimum 90 days postoperatively. So now, just for our listeners, could you give a bit more detail on how and when the glycemic control was assessed for the patients included in the study? Yeah, so glycemic control was assessed at the pre-admission testing, and that occurred between two to three weeks prior to surgery and included blood samples that were sent off to glycated hemoglobin and fructosamine testing. Okay. And, and how long were then, so obviously that's the, the baseline sort of data, how long were the patients then followed up for and what was sort of the primary outcome measure that you used and, and any other secondary outcome measures you looked at? Yeah, so as you mentioned, we followed up uh, with patients prospectively for three months. The primary mm -hmm. outcome was uh, periprostatic joint infection as defined by the international consensus meeting. Secondary outcomes included hospital readmissions wound complications and uh, any return to the operating room or death. And that was all collected prospectively, obviously. And the analysis for the paper is obviously very nicely laid out. But could just for our listeners give a brief overview of, of your power calculation terms and numbers you needed. Uh, and the reasoning also, you divide the cohort into four groups for some of the analysis. So if you could just talk us, talk us through that as well. Yeah, correct. So uh, we performed a power analysis and sample size calculation uh, based on our preliminary findings from a prior single center study. Once we collected the data, we determined the cutoff for fructosamine above which the risk for complication increases significantly. And we did, the, we did that using ROC and the UDIN index. So mm -hmm. these type of analysis point out the threshold that optimizes sensitivity and specificity of a certain test. In this, case, in this case, for detecting adverse outcomes, mainly PJI. We found that 293 micromole per liter is the optimal threshold for dichotomizing patients to high and normal levels 
of fructosamine, and we compared between the two groups. We did the same for, gly for glycated hemoglobin, and in addition, we also looked at 7 and 7.5, uh, as there is a controversy in the literature regarding the optimal threshold for hemoglobin A1c. Now, to investigate the independent utility of fructosamine unrelated to hemoglobin A1c, we split the cohort into four groups. Those who had both elevated fructosamine and hemoglobin A1c, those who had only one of them elevated, and in those who had both not elevated. And we performed a univariate followed by a regression analysis accounting for various confounders. That explains it really clearly. So if we, if we move on to the results of the study, there were obviously there were 1,119 patients recruited, so a very large number. Um, of those, there was uh, just under 14% who had a prior diagnosis of diabetes, uh, and 15 of those patients uh, had uh, associated sequelae, such as kidney problems or peripheral vascular disease. Um, the periprosthetic joint infection rate uh, in the study was uh, just under 1%, uh, and eight patients had wound complications. So, now, with, with all that sort of uh, as the, the core sort of data, could you, could you sort of detail the key results for our listeners in relation to fructosamine and the baseline demographics, but I suppose more importantly, as a predictor of adverse outcomes or complications? Yeah, so we found a total of 60 patients representing 6% of the cohort had high fructosamine levels, meaning a level above 293 micromole per liter. There were no significant differences in baseline characteristics between those with normal and high fructosamine, except for their ASA score. And as anticipated, um, those with high fructosamine were more likely to have diabetes. But interestingly, 30% of these patients with high fructosamine did not have diabetes. And that's an interesting thing to uh, have mm -hmm. in mind. Now, the results of the univariate analysis showed that high fructosamine levels were significantly associated with all of the adverse outcomes that we looked into, except for wound complications. PGI rates were 8.4 times higher in uh, patients with high fructosamine. Readmission and reoperation rates were 3.6 and, and four times higher in the high fructosamine group. And two patients from the elevated fructosamine group died compared to only one in those with normal fructosamine. Finally, while we did not uh, show a statistical significant difference, the rate of superficial wound complications was three times higher in the group of patients who had high fructosamine. I mean, they're all, they're all really quite stark findings, those. And I think, like you say, you highlight that, you know, the 30% of patients who, you know, who, who had a, um, did not have a background of diabetes, but had abnormal, abnormal fructosamine levels. So you also then formed a regression analysis was performed to determine the role of fructosamine as an independent predictor of PGI. And what, and what did this show? So the adverse outcomes seen in the elevated fructosamine group remain significant for PGI readmissions and reoperations after controlling for potential confounders, including uh, primary versus provision surgery, operative time, links of state, BMI, uh, Alex Hauser, and this was true in a multiple regression analysis. So mortality rates were too low to assess in a regression model. But mm. this really emphasizes that fructosamine is not just a proxy for general illness, but rather an independent predictor of complications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's quite, a, it's quite, a, it's quite impressive that that model and how it's still controlling for those factors is still a predictor. So obviously that's fructosamine, but how did that then compare? You obviously compared that with HbA1c as a predictor of complications, and what what did that? What did what were those results? Right, so unlike fructosamine, hemoglobin A1c failed to show a significant association with all of the adverse outcomes. 
we saw similar rates of adverse, adverse outcomes in patients with high and normal hemoglobin A1C. And this was true for all hemoglobin A1C thresholds that were assessed. Okay, that's really interesting. And so obviously you can, you can finally, finally, if we just finish off with the results, you, you've got a very nice sort of figure where you demonstrate the results according to those four groups we just described earlier. You can just sort of summarize that for our listeners. So the figure shows the patients stratified into four groups based on their hemoglobin and fructosamine levels. Each column represents a group, those with both fructosamine and hemoglobin A1C elevated, those with only hemoglobin A1C elevated, those with only fructosamine elevated, and those in who both were not elevated. So all of the complications were significantly higher in the group who had only fructosamine elevated. You can see the rates of PJI readmissions and reoperations reaching 15 and 20% in that group, really reflecting the added value of fructosamine over hemoglobin A1C and its independent utility. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, a, I think I agree. I think it's a really great figure because it just very clearly shows the role of the, the usefulness of fructosamine. So if, if we sort of move on to sort of your discussion about, you know, how the study fits into the current literature, I mean, the study strengths are obviously without question it's a, a prospective design very large number of patients enrolled and and, and as we've obviously discussed and, and heard there's a very robust analysis performed and it's obviously highlighted very key findings and cutoffs with regards to the role of fructosamine as a, a glycemic control marker and and its association with periprosthetic joint infection and i think one of the start findings is, is you highlight in the paper is that in patients with high fructosamine levels who had normal HbA1c levels, the rate of PGI readmission and reoperation reached 15%. So how do you how do you feel that this data adds to the current literature in the area and potentially and potentially current guidelines in the future? So our findings question questioning the role of hemoglobin A1c as an appropriate marker for glycemic control in the preoperative period are consistent with two recent systematic reviews showing no or only a weak association between hemoglobin A1C and PGI. One of the major limitations of those prior studies was that they may have used a cutoff which was too low. So we therefore examined both hemoglobin A1C of 7 and 7.5 as cutoffs for determining inadequate control, and still we were not able to show an association between hemoglobin A1C and any of the adverse outcomes assessed. When comparing high hemoglobin A1C and high fructosamine, the latter was much more predictive of ad adverse outcome. Another interesting finding of the current study was that majority of patients with elevated fructosamine who developed a complication had normal hemoglobin A1C levels, further supporting the independent role of fructosamine and suggesting this should be the marker for assessing glycemic control in the future. You know, I, I think that's very nice to put. So in terms of, you know, you talk about the potential financial implications of using fructosamine as a glycemic marker. Could you just go into that in a bit more detail for our listeners? No. So fructosamine cost in the U.S. is around $20 per test. Based on our findings, we would need to screen around 280 patients at a cost of just above $5,000 to detect and avoid a single PJI case which is considerably, considerably less than the healthcare cost for treating a case of PGI, mm -hmm. even without accounting for morbidity and um, the social cost. The general estimates for cost of treating a PGI in the United States is around $100,000. So these findings, together with the fact that 50% with high fructosamine who went on to develop PGI had normal hemoglobin A1C levels, support the notion that all patients undergoing total neurotrophicity 
should be screened for glycemic control using fructosamine. No, absolutely. And, you know, with that in mind, no, I think, you know, what we always, from the, your point of view as the authors, for the, our listeners, what, what do you feel your key take-home messages are in light of all that and in light of any potential limitations of the, the study? And where, where do you feel we really should go next with this, with this research? So fructosamine is an inexpensive test, which is readily available. It's more accurate and responds quicker to treatment compared to hemoglobin A1c. Our findings of high rates of diabetes and prediabetes, as well as the increased risk in those with unknown diabetes, call for screening all patients undergoing total knee arthroplasty using fructosamine. And in those with a level above 293 micromole per liter, the risk for surgery should really be uh, carefully weighed against its benefits. Yeah, I think that's very nicely put. I think that's right. And I think it's, it's clearly, you know, with the data you have presented, I think it's, you know, it's, it really is, it adds to, like you say, backing up the systematic reviews that you've seen before and, and emphasizing it's, it's much, I would suggest, much important, more important role than HbA1c. So no, I think, uh, thank you so much, No, I think that's all we have time for. It's been a really excellent, informative discussion and a real congratulations on a, on a great study and an invaluable addition to the literature. So to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we encourage you to share your thoughts and comments through Facebook, Twitter and the like. Feel free to post or tweet about anything we have discussed here today and thanks again for listening.